Welcome, everyone. <clears throat> I will up top apologize that you have to listen um, to a scratchy voice this morning. <clears throat> the title of the message this morning is Reality. We're going to look at a few verses that spoke to me in the last few days and consider the realities presented in them. You can turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read the first four verses. Colossians 3, starting at verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. <clears throat> I went a couple different ways with sermon preparation this week, and um, none of them were coming together really the, the way I thought they should. And yesterday, um, I reread these verses and thought, well, I don't know how long my voice will last, and maybe it'll be okay to have a sermon uh, just based on four verses of text. And um, anyway, my notes kept getting longer and longer as I looked at these four verses. So we'll see, we'll see uh, whether it's actually as short as I thought it might be or not. I found five uh, realities I want to point to that we see here from these verses. And the first one is the reality of God himself. So the, the first reality we see in these verses, um, and the most foundational, is the reality of God. In verse 1 we have, um, we have Christ sitting at the right hand of God. And in verse 3 we have uh, your life hidden with Christ in God. If it weren't for God, the, the, the reality of him as a person, um, the, the person of God, the objective, um, self-existent God, nothing in these verses is real. All of these verses just crumble and fall apart if it were not for the reality of a living, personal God. It would all just be a bunch of make-believe at that point. And in Paul's day, and in our day, there are plenty of religious people who make their living by playing religious make-believe. You know, life is a lot more complicated, a lot more nuanced than a simple division between atheists and theists. Um, those who believe there is no God and those who believe there is some God. There are thousands, probably even millions, 
of theists that don't believe in God. They believe in the idea of God. There are plenty of pastors, sadly, of church leaders out there who don't believe that your idea of God needs to correspond with any objective reality outside of you. They would say that what matters is your idea of God must have a good effect on the world. Religion is valuable. The idea of truth is useful if it helps you be a healthy and tolerant person. What works for you? The idea of God, not the person of God. When Paul says in verse 1 that Christ is at the right hand of God, and in verse 3 that your life is hidden with Christ in God, he doesn't mean that Christ is at the right hand of an idea or that your life is hidden with Christ in an idea. The God of Colossians 3 is the same God as in chapter 1. He is the creator of all things. Back in chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, we have this. Colossians 1.15, he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He was there before anyone had any idea of whether he was there. He is the creator of all human minds, even those who imagine that he doesn't exist as any objective reality. He has an eternal, uncreated image of himself, his son. We have that in verse 15. And in Jesus is the fullness of, of deity, um, Verse 19 in chapter 1, it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And in chapter 2, verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We read in verse 17 that by his Son, God holds all things in existence. We see in verse 13 that he has an infinite love for his Son, who he sent into the world to deal with all the sins of his people. Uh, chapter 1, verse 14 in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. God is not an imaginary creation of the world. The world is the creation of God, and it is not imaginary. So, firstly, in these verses, we have the reality of God. Number two, the second reality I want to look at is that Christ is at God's right hand. <clears throat> we see this in verse 1 also. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. This is the eternal loved Son we see in chapter 1, verse 13. He was once dead. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 22 say this. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Verse 22, chapter 1. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. He was dead once. Now he is alive. Chapter 2, verse 12. He is alive because God raised him from the dead. 
This uh, chapter 2, verse 12, uh, speaks of us being buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. There are three um, positional things said in, in Colossians 3.1 about this Son of God. Um, he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he entered history, he died, and he rose. And these three positional things we have here are, he is above, seek the things that are above where Christ is, he is at the right hand of God, and number three, he is seated. So one, he is above, two, he is seated at the right hand of God, and excuse me, two, he is at the right hand of God, and three, he is seated. So he is above, not just above the clouds, not just above some space and some stars, but he is above all the stars and all of space. He is not partially above this created order. He is absolutely above creation, for he is at the right hand of God, and God is not created. And yet there's, there's um, mystery here. With, with the incarnation, Jesus coming to earth as a man, we had the divine entering the created, which is just fascinating to me. Um, with, with Jesus coming as a man, um, we had the divine entering creation. Um, with the ascension, there is some measure of the created, with Christ's humanity, entering the divine realm. Um, the song, Arise, My Soul, Arise, is one of my favorite songs. And uh, it talks about five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They speak for me. He's there at the right hand of God. Are those wounds still there? The second positional thing, he is at the right hand of God, the place of highest honor, a place of dignity, a place of power, a place of authority. He is not below God, not above God, but he is acting as God and God acting through him as we see in chapter 1. In chapter 1, let's read from verse 15, Colossians 1, starting at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven or on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Peter has a description for the power of this place at the Father's right hand. In 1 Peter 3:22, he says, speaking of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. All the powers in the universe are under Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 8:34 that here at the right hand of the Father is where Christ works to intercede for us. 
Romans 8.34, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And the third positional thing, he is seated, meaning his great and decisive saving work is finished. Hebrews 1, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Um, in Hebrews 10, I didn't put it in my notes, in Hebrews 10 we have um, the writer there contrasting that Day after day, the priests had to go in and stand before the altar giving sacrifices, but Jesus sacrificed once for all and sat down at the right hand of God. Christ is above, seated at the right hand of God. Someone just asked me recently, um, Anymore, I couldn't have said that I consciously do it, which might be a problem. Um, well, no, I guess I do probably. I am conscious of it. Um, I, I tend to start my prayers with God above. Um, and a co-worker, after um, one Monday morning prayer time, said, okay, why do you do that? Um, and it was good for me to, to think back to how I started that habit, tradition, whatever you want to call it. Um, it is good for us to remember that Christ is above all and that you are subject. You are bowed before him. Um, so even when you don't have the opportunity when you pray to physically bow, um, don't forget that he is above all and you are below him. You are subject. Christ is above, seated at the right hand of God. The third reality here in these verses. Death has been left behind. A third reality that we see here in these few verses at the beginning of Colossians 3 is that as a believer in Christ, your death is behind you. When Mark said what he did um, just a moment ago, I thought, has he been looking at my notes? Um, he was uh, emphasizing more the, the physical death. But think about it. Your death is behind you as a Christian. It has already happened. And your life is not what the world thinks it is. It is hidden from the world, and in some ways hidden from you, with Christ and God, these verses say. Um, in verse 3, you have died. So uh, take joy in the fact that the worst is behind you. Uh, no matter what you have to suffer coming before you, you have died. In verse 1, we have you have been raised with Christ. Um, so the, the resurrection you're waiting for um, to, to rise with him in glory is just as sure as the one you've already experienced. And also in verse 3, you have this hidden with Christ in God. Um, your life is as secure 
uh, how do I want to put this? Just as, as tight and secure as the, the union of the Father and the Son, um, your life is just as secure in Christ. But it's in some way not yet shown or manifested to the world. It, there's a hiddenness about it. Now, how do you know this is true, that you have already died? Um, chapter 2, verse 12, we've looked at already, where it says, You were buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Your open commitment to Christ was you laying down your life. This is actually one of the, the greatest realities in the universe, that you and every, every true believer, every true um, child of God has passed from death to life. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. We know that we have passed from death to life. Your most terrible experience, death, is behind you and your most glorious experience of life is ahead of you so no matter how horrible the suffering or death that may come um, physically that's nothing compared to what lies behind you and the the separation from God that you had prior to dying to be raised with him and no matter how amazing the life this world um, tries to offer you, it is nothing compared to what is uh, hidden, to use this word, in Christ, uh, with Christ. I guess it would be in God. Psalm 16.11 says that in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. So getting a hold of this reality is that that you have died is um, no I don't think it's over overstating it to say it is crucial for your survival as a Christian and your ability to serve others grasping the reality that you have died is crucial for your survival as a Christian Behind us is the glory that our death is past. The worst is over. Think of it as combining Good Friday and your commitment with Christ. Um, you were buried with him in baptism. Your commitment with Christ is the combining of Good Friday and your commitment. And before us is the glory that our life is absolutely secure with Christ and God. There's no safer place to be. But in between, where we live right now, is, is the hiddenness that, that we see talked about in these verses. Um, Colossians, the verse 3 in chapter 3, your life is hidden. The glory is, is hidden. Your death with Christ is in a manner hidden. Um, your resurrection is, in a sense, hidden. Um, there are glimpses of the realities of your real life in Christ. But people looking on are still faced first with with your mortal life, your your physical life, the body you have. 
Um, so there is a hiddenness in in this physical life that we have, but it is reality that you have died. Always remember that what you can't see with your physical eyes is more glorious than any and all that you can see with your physical eyes. Reality number four that I want to pull out. Christ will appear. So we have in verse four, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Not if he appears, um, not in case he appears, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Christ is here now. He is right now reigning over the world. You can't lift your finger except by the sustaining power of Christ, according to um, chapter 1. All, all of creation exists or consists uh, because of him and his power. I will... I will live to the end of this message or not by the will of Christ. Um, I can't really make that choice. It's only in his power. He is here. But again, we have this hiddenness. And, and there's a paradox um, how the presence and power of Jesus Christ is both evident and hidden. And Paul reminds us in verse 4, it won't always be this way. The hiddenness will come to an end. He is coming. He will appear all the hiddenness of his presence and his power will be over. And the fifth reality is that it is hidden, but it will soon be revealed. Your hiddenness will be over as well. You will appear with him in glory, it says. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Remember, Jesus said that we should let our lights shine now so that others can see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven. We find that in Matthew 5. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So yes, let us work, um, let's, let's seek to, to reflect the glory of God now. But remember, your current level of Christ-likeness, your current amount, uh, uh, the current amount of, joy, of glory God receives in the day-to-day, -day, uh, the fullness of your joy, what we have now is only part of the fullness we get to look forward to. So those are some realities that, that Paul reveals to us in Colossians 3. And he calls for us to have a mindset, um, a disposition, you could say, or a temperament maybe, that conforms to those realities. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 3, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. The word he uses here is the same as he uses in Philippians 2.5, where he says to have this mind in you, um, you can set your mind on something you don't agree with. Uh, when your boss says, do it this way, um, you, can, you can be sure that uh, it would be more efficient uh, 
and more pleasant to do it this other way, but you can set your mind to doing it the way your boss told you to. You can set your mind to something you don't agree with. But we're not called to simply set our mind on, but to have the mindset. Have this mind in you. Have this mindset, this attitude, this disposition, this temperament, this way of thinking and feeling and responding that Christ had. That's the idea here. Paul is saying, be shaped by these realities. Don't just set your mind to these realities, but be shaped by them, be formed by them, be driven by them. And finally, Paul shows us the pathway that leads to that mindset. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek. This is the pathway to the mindset shaped by things above. Seek them. There is no passive entry into a Christ-like mindset. There is no passive entry into glory. Seek them, pursue them, chase them, track them down, uh, seize them. You hold on to them. You, you, you stare at them. You dig into them. You understand them. You treasure them. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is reality. Can we have a song, please? <clears throat>